0: Good morning. I have a friend that um, when she finally overcame her addiction to heroin, this is her theme song. It's what she sings over and over and over again in her mind to remind herself that she's not a slave to all those things out in the world, but rather she is a child of God. I was reflecting a lot upon the songs that we were singing this morning. And, uh, you know, we sang the hymn, I Surrender All. And right after that, this is the air I breathe. Um, do we breathe that kind of air? That everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is to be used for his glory. Everything we have is, is to be stewarded, shared, shared. So that we can bless others in this world, even when they choose not to bless us. Um, A lot of power in the words that we sang this morning. For those that are visiting, we have been engaged in a series in Ecclesiastes. I personally think Ecclesiastes is one of those books written for such a time as this. Um, You know, biblical view of history, we're going to get into this in a moment, is cyclical. As Solomon said in chapter 1, verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. Which means that we have a tendency to repeat ourselves. Just new faces, different toys. But we have this tendency to come around to where we were before. And I think where we are at as a nation, we need to hear what Solomon has to say. And his point is rather clear, isn't it? If you pursue meaning, purpose, and happiness... Apart from God, life under the sun, what will happen? Vanity of vanity, all is vanities. Meaningless, meaningless. Empty, empty. It is useless. It doesn't exist. It will not not bring you to the place that you desired for whatever that is to bring you to. And we need to desperately hear that. We're in chapter 10 this morning. You can turn there a while. As you do, let's just center our hearts on prayer as we seek to explore God's word together. Let's pray. Father God, um, may your spirit bring God's word alive. That is one of his responsibilities. May you speak to us in ways that that we can understand, that we can appreciate enough to take with us and apply in our lives this week I guess what I'm saying Lord is may we be humble enough and open enough to hear what you have to say thank you we can be here this morning to worship you we realize there are some that cannot be and we remember them in prayer some that are recovering physically from surgery this past week or the past few weeks others that are just in a life stage where um they just desperately want to see you face to face because life's not good right now. And for others that are just in a family dynamic right now that sometimes doesn't allow them to to come and worship. So we think of those and we know that the Spirit intercedes and takes all our prayer requests there. And again, we just want to thank you that we can come here to worship to an audience of one because you alone are worthy. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We live in a crazy world, don't we? Uh, This morning is the anniversary of 9-11. It's hard to believe that was 15 years ago. As I was reminded in Sunday school this morning, context is everything. Many of us do not remember another anniversary, not of today, but of this year, 75 years ago, and that was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Equally as tragic. I ran across a news article this past week. The place was Kansas City. 70-year-old man walks into a bank, hands the teller a note that says, I want your cash. I have a gun. He took the money, sat down in the lobby, told the security guard he was the man they were looking for. When the FBI arrived... He told them he'd rather be in jail than at home with his wife. (laughs) We live in a crazy world, don't we? There's a hot term today. And it's been happening about the last 10, 15 years. It's the word progressive. And if you've been studying any kind of culture, they talk today about progressive morality. And they talk about progressive education. And they talk about progressive theology. That's been going on for about 20 years of course, there's progressive politics. There's progressive history. And that word gives us the illusion that we are what? We're going somewhere. We're moving ahead. But there's a problem with that according to Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1.9, he says, there is nothing new under the sun. And he's trying to tell us we're not as progressive as we think we are. Let's take progressive morality or sexuality for a moment. If you're a Facebook fan... Or some people call it the book of faith. Because we can pretend to be anything we want on there. It now has 51 new terms for sexual identity. 51. Now Solomon said you remove God. What happens? Well everything's up for grabs. And while we think we are progressive in terms of sexuality today. You study the Old Testament and there is nothing new. The goddess of Asherah, which we get the word Easter from, was the goddess of fertility of sexuality. And all the progressive things that we talk about today were already been there, done that in the Old Testament. You talk about Baal and Molech jump light years ahead to Rome and the pagan sexuality that existed just before the fall of Rome that so captured the people. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this, in light of our terms today, in light of progressive sexuality, we really are regressive. See, a biblical worldview says it is cyclical. It just starts here, it goes around, and every so many generations, we just keep experiencing the same thing, new names, new faces, new idols, new gods. It's interesting that when you study some secular historians, they don't call it cyclical. They call it a pendulum. They say we swing this way. And after we swing this way, then we swing back to this way. But they too agree with Solomon. They say there is nothing new under the sun. Now that enters the second problem. Every time we find ourselves in this crazy wheel, the church usually responds several ways. One is they build fortresses, which means they isolate themselves, and they hide, and they pull themselves away into their own community, and sexuality becomes a dirty word. History also bears record that sometimes instead of isolating ourselves, we become militant. I mean, we we go out there, and we just kind of destroy anybody that disagrees with us. Of course, then there's the swing the other way. The swing the other way, instead of isolating, we say everything is permissible, and instead of seeing sexuality as a gift given by the Creator, we have this reactive living instead of intentional living following Christ. That's why the one song we sang, I Surrender All, is so critical. Because if we're ever going to adopt the biblical worldview and understand this world as God sees it, as Solomon's been telling us, we really do have to be humble and hungry. Humility bows our knee at the feet of the cross. And hunger pursues after his righteousness. Of course, Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. What I discovered today when you look at everything going on. And again, it is nothing new. That some churches and some Christians are more concerned with being liked than following Christ. And that puts us in a very tragic position. I think about Paul and we study Paul. We respect Paul. And yet I think if Paul was here today, some of us would be on the other side of the fence throwing grenades at him like some of the Christians did. In Philippians, he was in prison and he's writing this letter and he knew there was some churches and some pastors and some Christians criticizing Paul saying, Paul, you had to do something wrong. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in prison. I mean, look at us. We're not in prison. We're getting along with people fine. So, Paul writes this letter. Here's what he says in chapter 1 verse 12. Just listen. He goes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has had happened to me has really serviced to advance the gospel. So, in other words, my faith is in Christ Not my circumstance. Wherever he places me, that's where I willingly go. Because, you know what? He has designs on this. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. So in other words, he had this captive audience. He had soldiers that had to guard him every single day. And take shifts and rotate. And he kept preaching Christ, preaching Christ. They go back, they preach it to their families. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then he says this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and robbery. And he's addressing those people that were saying, Paul, you're just not as a big shot as you think you are. Because look at us, we're free. You're in prison. Present day Reality. I don't know i been following what's been going on, even on the federal level in our own community with Lancaster Bible College. Um, last year, due to a federal law, they applied for a Title IX exemption from that federal law. And the federal law had to do with discriminating against the LGBTQ community in hiring and firing practices. And them, among other groups, filed for that Title IX, which the federal government has made an allowance for. Well, last week in the paper... LBC was labeled as a hate group and here's a quote the author of this or at least those who are being interviewed said that LBC they use religion based bigotry to harm or perpetuate harm towards the LGBT community youth and the difficulty is, even in the Christian educational community, there's this wide range of opinions on how to handle this new law and students who wrestle with their sexual identities. UNLBC you know, decided they want the exemption from hiring people that are of a particular sexual persuasion. Now, biblically, we're to treat everyone with dignity, grace, and value. That's the biblical position. Every single person we meet has been made in the image of God. Now that image can be distorted many ways. Sin does that. But what I find tragic today is that you cannot hold to a different position. Otherwise, you're labeled, accused, and condemned. Even inside the Christian community. Now last week, Solomon really addressed the question, what kind of leader do you want to be? And our world desperately needs leaders. Not the kind you're thinking, but the leaders at work, the leaders in their home, the leaders in their community, leaders in their churches. I know often we think about the grand leader, but this is that we really all lead in our setting, our capacity. And we saw last week that smart leaders are capable of doing dumb things. Amen? And Solomon spoke to us about what a leader is not. And he says, bad leaders have a tendency to say too much. Their words are reckless and careless. They have this misdirected energy. They they spend a whole lot of time doing nothing. They celebrate too quickly. They have no preventive maintenance. They don't think ahead. They save nothing for unexpected expenses. And they undermine authority. And he says, you take God out of the picture. This is what you get. So don't be surprised. It's empty, it's meaningless, it's vanity, it's chasing the wind. Now what I want to do is back up to the first 11 verses in chapter 10. And what he does in this setting is he contrasts wisdom and folly. He uses the word folly nine times. I know that's not a term we use today very often. It's used frequently in scripture. It means foolishness. Um, And so Solomon says, listen. As you make daily choices, you can choose to be wise or you can choose to be foolish. And I remind you that wisdom is not knowledge. Rather, wisdom begins when our mind is saturated with God. It begins when that mind stuff, you know, stuff we learned here, moves to our heart. And wisdom begins when it moves from our head to our heart to our hands. You have to have all three components. You cannot have a wise person who does nothing. So wisdom is entailed in those three things. And wisdom is a byproduct of humility. Otherwise, we sit around and we sit and say things like this. Why can't people think and feel like me? Really what we're saying is why can't people be as smart as us? And that's really the height of arrogance. And we know that wisdom is from God's spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. And of revelation. In the knowledge of him. So. You cannot get wise. Apart from his word and his spirit do I need to say that again? You cannot get wise apart from his word and his spirit. Now later he talks about in that same book the importance of being filled with the spirit. But if we want to walk in wisdom, our minds, our hearts, and our hands, we have to align ourselves in humility and follow the spirits leading according to God's truth. And that's why James says things like this in chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. How many times do we ask other sources? How many times do we investigate on the internet? How many times do we ask people's opinions rather than go to the God of all wisdom? But here's how this works. And James really talks about what Solomon talks about. Proverbs chapter 2. Note the ifs in the first five verses, okay? Note the ifs. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning verse 1, and we'll have this on the screen. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, and if you seek it like silver and search for it as your for hidden treasures, then you will understand. And the word understand there literally means you'll know what to do. Okay? So the mind, the heart, and understand what to do, the fear of the Lord, and the find knowledge of God. Then later on the author says this, and it's really the conclusion of the ifs. For if the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, Comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. What do you hear talked about today in the news? Isn't it those things? What's the right thing to do in this situation? What's the act of justice? Think about all the equity or equality statements you're hearing. That is innate in us. It's that little spark of the image of God. And and whether it's distorted or not isn't the issue right now. But understand that that's a good conversation to have. The problem is we want to take God out of it. And when you take God out of that, then you end up with this whole mishmash of confusion that is empty, that's meaningless, that leads to the very thing that they say they want but never get there. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard your heart, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. And Paul warns Timothy of those men when he writes this letter and says, there's going to be a group of Christians you will understand And here's the phrase, he says, they are ever learning, but never able to come to the truth. We have a lot of knowledge. But in all areas of life, many still lack wisdom. I realize that's kind of a long introduction, but... I want to stress the point about what wisdom is and what Solomon's getting at. And the fact that he says, listen, you take God out of knowledge or wisdom and you really get things that are empty. We have to understand this. And the right thing and equality and justice will never be resolved apart from us in humility being hungry after God and his kingdom. Now in the first 11 verses, he talks about three contrasts. He talks about advantage versus disadvantage. How wise people have an advantage and foolish people are at a disadvantage. Then he talks about humility and patience. That's wisdom versus popularity and partiality. That's the fool's path. And then inevitable risk versus inexcusable stupidity. (laughs) I mean, everything we do involves risk. But we can take risk with intentionality and wisdom. Or we can just kind of walk and be really stupid. So let's look at this framework. Let's take advantage versus disadvantage. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, look at the first three verses. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now we're back to the analogy of perfume. Chapter 7, verse 1. Good perfume, good name. Here he says, Dead flies and perfume. Stink the whole thing. And what dead flies are to perfume, folly is to wisdom. He says folly or foolishness creates problems, and that this foolishness will put you at a disadvantage, even though you want to blame everyone and everything around you. Look at verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Let me first say this is not a political statement. Now, I say that in jest, but I will tell you now that I've had people come to me and say, see, see, Christians are to be on the right, not the left. That is not what this means. One of those biblical distortions, they used to look at this verse, and they used to condemn left-handed people. Even in the day of Jesus, left-handed people were considered of less value than right-handed. They were considered inferior but in Solomon's culture, the right was the place of honor and power. The left was the position of weakness and rejection. Jesus sits where? The right hand of God. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations. He will separate people one from the other as Shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats will be on his left. That's where this analogy comes from. Honor versus weakness. In Latin, the word sinister, a literal translation is to be on the left. Here's what Solomon says. A wise person goes God's way. A foolish person ignores God. That's really all he's saying. There's some other places that he gives this analogy, Proverbs 17, verse 12. Look at the imagery he says. Let a man meet a she bear robbed of her cubs. Now, if you know anything about bears and you take cubs away from a mother, you would not want to be in her path because nothing will stop her. But let a man meet a she bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. In Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. (laughs) Proverbs 18, 6, a fool's lips lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I mean, we've all met people that sometimes they just keep talking and talking and talking and they make us angry. We want to hit them. I'll be honest, there's some people I want to hit sometimes, just like, Be quiet. Do you understand what you're saying? Makes absolutely no sense. And yet there's some people having ears that are willing to listen to what they say. Look at verse three back in chapter 10. Even when a fool, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Nice way of saying that there's some people that think they're pretty smart and they act pretty smart, but their behaviors state their foolishness. It goes back to the emperor has no clothes. Many times we are that emperor. So, Solomon says, listen, wisdom has its advantages. (laughs) Being a fool has some really harsh disadvantages. The second contrast, patience and humility versus popularity and partiality. Look at verse 4. In the anger of the ruler rises against you. Do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. He says, be quiet, calm, and composed. So often it's counterintuitive to our reactive emotional based opinions that avoids facts. Remember my statement about, hey, don't confuse me with the facts. I mean, that's the kind of world we live in. And so many people today are arguing and fighting and they're angry at each other. They don't even sit down and are willing to listen to each other. They just label, accuse, and incite violence. Solomon says, Patience takes humility. Verse 5 There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, to understand this analogy, you've got to forget the rich and the poor for a moment. That's not what he's talking about. What he's suggesting here is, he says, I've seen incompetent people in places of authority. Amen to that? they usually appoint equally incompetent people around them. As the old adage, stupid is contagious. And so he's saying, listen, there's people in high places, there's people in low places. Now the rich in the low place are the people that are wise. They should be the ones in that position, but aren't. Because the people that are up here lorded over the one who could do the job And they are more concerned with popularity and showing partiality to their friends than getting the job done. And he's saying, I've seen seen this. The choice is to do the right thing, to take humility and patience, or to be concerned about popularity and power and my position and my partiality. And he says, they end up choosing over here. When you take God out of the picture, it's always about their friends. It's not about doing the right thing. And it's about making sure that they win the popularity contest with the right people. Now, do I even need to make the obvious application here? (laughs) Okay, I'll use another country to state the obvious. (laughs) Mugabe took over power in 1980. He became ruler of one of the most prosperous countries in all of Africa. Then it was known as Rhodesia. He first killed his cohort who helped him get in power. Then he kicked out all the competent people. That's a nice way of saying he had them killed. Replaced them with his friends. They bought their way into the government. And Zimbabwe was born. And in a few short years, they moved from the most rich and powerful countries in all of Africa to one of the poorest. One of my many times there, I was watching their TV which was only a news show that Mugabe put out so it was his propaganda and they were blaming President Bush then President Bush claiming that he had poisoned all their fertilizer which destroyed the crops and later when his popularity waned (laughs) it was sustained at the end of a gun and food if you don't like me, I won't feed you. If you don't like me, well, we're going to force the election at gunpoint. That if you don't check, the right check. And then every year he would declare that he was the popular candidate. You know, humility leads us to accountability. Humility asks this question. What must I change to make a difference? popularity looks for the outside and the answer is what must someone else do that and then you just fill the blank in so Solomon says there's advantages and disadvantages he also says that humility and patience are superior to popularity and partiality then he talks about inevitable risk versus inexcusable stupidity Look at the analogies here in verses 8 and down through 11. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and no one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Of course, it's our definition of success, isn't it? If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So here's what he says. A fool is someone who digs a pit and doesn't take the right safety precautions, and they just fall into it. Same deal with a demolition project. Doesn't take safety precautions and gets bit by a snake. Quarries rock. same thing. Splitting wood with a dull axe, same kind of thing. Trying to catch a snake without a charmer. It's like, okay, you don't wait till you get bit, then call the charmer. All Solomon's saying is here that we need to learn to think critically. We need to learn to, to think critically, biblically. And understand a biblical worldview and understanding definitions based upon that worldview and not allowing culture to dictate what wisdom is. Now, I go back to my thought that I start, started with last week and this week that smart and even wise people are incredibly stupid. Now, Solomon, by his writing this book, is an example of this. You understand in his humility at this point, he's admitting his foolishness. And it's that significant that God has decided to leave it for a record for all our time. I mean, understand the implications of why Ecclesiastes is there. This does not make Solomon look good. Historically, when you read extra biblical content, he looked really good. Biblically, he says, I've been a fool. And I want to leave God's truth for you so that you don't make the same foolish mistakes I did. It goes back to the reality that starting points are critical. We're going to find out in, next couple of weeks that he simply says, you know what? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Pure God, keep his commandments. End of his life, the wisest man, he says, one simple statement. So starting points for us, God. Starting points for the fool, itself. And that doesn't mean that the fool isn't religious. Doesn't mean the fool doesn't have a knowledge of theology. Doesn't mean that the fool is I mean, they could be so smart and knowledgeable when it comes to information, but they lack wisdom. And what Solomon is saying is that we must be intentional if we are going to be wise. Intentionality means it's not my common sense; it's not someone else's common sense. Do you understand that that most of what we try to describe about God um, is foolish? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have doctrinal statements. All I'm saying is we are trying to explain the unexplainable. How many times does God have to record through one of the prophets saying, your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways, before we start believing it? How many times do we have to read crazy stories of Ezekiel when he tries to describe what he saw, and it comes out, it's just like, what? A bunch of lion heads, a bunch of eyes going around in circles, and... Then some crazy religious person says, you know what he's describing? He's describing a UFO. They saw them back then too. I mean, read Revelation. I mean, the language. It's just like, wow. I was having a discussion one day with Dr. Taig from the college and he's asking about my education and how it's helped me navigate pastor ministry and I made this statement that uh, I said, you need to understand one thing, that I knew more about God when I graduated OBC it'll be seen than I do today. <laughs> in my humility and life experience, I realized that what I thought I knew, I could be wrong. And the basics, the true basics that he left for us, we need to cling on to those. So Solomon says you've got to be intentional if you're going to be wise. There's a lot of information out there and wisdom helps us navigate it. But so much of what's out there is a distortion of reality. And I have to tell you in my 38 years of doing this the internet has created a whole new realm of stupidity that I've just never seen before. I mean people can put anything out there and they have an audience. I mean, if 28% of the people in America, according to the internet, still believe that most of us have been captured by UFOs and aliens and probed and everything else, I mean, there is a wide range of people out there that will believe whatever you have to say. That doesn't make it right. So, let me wrap it up this morning. Fear God, (laughs) ask for wisdom. And live with the power of the Spirit to hear it and to allow that wisdom to fill our minds, our hearts, and our hands. I'm going to invite those up to stage that are going to close our service. And as they do, I want us to pray together. Father God, forgive us for our arrogance, forgive us for the times that we think we know. Instead of sitting and quietly listening and meditating upon your word, instead of listening to your, your spirit prompt us saying, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what God said? We just listen to other voices. And we follow and pursue idols that that will take us so far from you. Even though they seem so smart to us. I pray, Lord, that we see the disadvantage of foolishness. And then we learn to be patient and humble. And that in the risks of life, we do so with wisdom. We navigate them intentionally, understanding that what you called us to be and do, that we listen and we navigate this world. And, and like Paul, if it means that we're in prison, then we're in prison. It means if we're running a business, then we're running a business. But you have placed us where we are for such a time as this. And we can be a blessing in this world. And sometimes that causes people to rise up and cry, crucify him. We know the, your son who had no sin, who only wanted to love and to bless. There was people that refused to look at and they were religious people. At the value that he want to instill in them. And they destroy the very one they claim to be looking for. I pray that we are not like that as the church, Lord. But as the church, we just understand how awesome and great you are. And then engage in that level. So teach us, Lord, and lead us. And we thank you again that we can be here this morning and worship you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.